So this morning's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 2, from verse 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. All right, let's get right into it this morning. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the one of the sad realities um, that has occurred in our world as a result of sin through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, is the fact that when sin came in, there was a distortion and there was a loss of the true magnificence uh, of God's design for marriage. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God has designed for us, and it remains so even after the fall. But our experience of marriage because of sin, like everything else in our world, is a shadow of what God had intended it to be, of the beauty that God created it to originally be. Even the best of marriages in a fallen and broken world, they fall short of what it would have been before sin entered. Marriage is more glorious than what we know. Even with the fall, it is still glorious. But the only man and woman to know and experience what marriage should be in its fullness and purity is Adam and Eve. And through their rebellion, they lost it. And I wonder sometimes, and this week I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this message, I wonder how hard must the fall have been on their relationship? To go from what they experienced in Genesis 2, one flesh, naked, unashamed before one another, to Genesis 3, clothed, hiding, and blaming one another. I can't imagine how difficult the fall would have been on their relationship. I'm sure it was devastating. And since then, marriage has not been the pure beauty that it was meant to be. And humanity's view of it has fallen greatly. This is reflected clearly in our culture, where a biblical view of marriage is seen as ridiculous, 
and outdated. What was intended to be a lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman has become a contractual relationship that is easily dissolved whenever one or both parties wants to. People enter into marriage now believing that it is temporary, believing that if they are unhappy, they can just end it. More common than that even in these days and times is the fact that men and women refuse entirely to get married. They will live together, do all of the things that married people do as boyfriend and girlfriend, and even call one another their husband or their wife, and they're not. The biblical view of marriage is absolutely incomprehensible in a world where self is the biggest idol, where autonomy is the greatest ideal. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Where entertainment is the most common distraction. And where sex is a purely physical act that can be done whenever with whoever we want. Even those of us who hold a biblical worldview, who have been ransomed by Jesus, we still have a reduced view of marriage. In a world that is filled with such idols and aims and views, we cannot comprehend God's ultimate beauty for one man and one woman as one flesh for all of their lives. As I said, even those of us who hold a biblical view, who've been ransomed by Jesus, we can't fully comprehend marriage, and our views have been reduced in marriage. And I think we are more heavily influenced by our culture's view of marriage than we think we are. You know how I know that? Because too many followers of Christ are comfortable with entertainment that show a man cheating on his wife. That show a woman being unfaithful to her husband. That glorifies those kinds of relationships. That glorifies sex outside of marriage. We view it as entertainment. And the fact that we're willing to take that sort of thing in shows that our view of marriage is deeply reduced. And then there's the problem of our own sinfulness in marriage. And that, of course, distorts God's pure intent for it. Now, in saying all of that, you're sitting there going, oh, my goodness, doom and gloom message this morning. <laughs> and it's not meant as doom and gloom. It is meant merely to point out the reality of what we have lost in the fall. And how important it is that we hold a high view of marriage. You just imagine what marriage was before the fall, if it is so glorious still after the fall. Imagine what that experience would have been. We can't. We can't fully. But this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at God's original design for marriage and how glorious it is. Because it is important to know it. It is important to hold it up. 
And as followers of Jesus, it is important for us to aim as close to it as we can in our own marriages. So let's pray before we dig into this message. Father, I thank you for each man, each woman here, each young person here. Lord, I thank you for how you have designed marriage. Father, as we talk about your original design for marriage and how glorious and how beautiful it is, I pray, Lord, that you would work on our hearts. Father, we know that we cannot have just the the utmost of beauty in it as we could without sin, but Lord, through Jesus Christ and through your grace, we can still experience the beauty of marriage. Father, I pray that each heart in here would have such a high view of this thing that you have given us, and that in our own marriages, we would pour ourselves out in love and service of our spouse. Father, for those who are here who are maybe struggling in their marriage, God, would you this morning encourage them, exhort them, give them something to aim for this morning. For those of you who are not in here and who want to be married, Lord, I pray that you would show them how beautiful it is. I ask in Jesus' name that you would work. Amen. So, as most of you know, we are in a series that is called In the Beginning, and over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the, the uh, creation narrative in Genesis, and we started three weeks ago by looking at the fact that every single person is made in the image of God. Every person has value because of that fact, and then a couple weeks ago, we looked at man's purpose. We said man's purpose is to work and to keep, and that it just has this heavy kind of uh, service feel to it, that men are here to serve, and we are to take care of, and we are to keep and we were to protect. And then last week, we looked at woman's purpose. And we looked at the fact that the woman has been made as a helper fit for man, equal in, uh, equal in dignity, and just an absolute powerhouse in uh, partnering with man in what God has called all of humanity to do. And what we will see today is that the creation narrative that we've looked at in Genesis 2 moves toward this culminating moment of God's institution of marriage. In the design of man and woman, God's end goal, his culminating moment, his crowning achievement was to unite them with one another as one flesh. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that God created man, and he put him in the garden. He saw it was not good that man be alone, right? Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, and God puts Adam to sleep, and he creates a woman from his rib, and creating the woman uh, in Adam's own likeness, perfectly suited to him, and when Adam wakes up from his sleep, God brings the woman to Adam, and Adam sees her, and he says those beautiful words in Genesis 2, 23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And we talked about last week how uh, there's this kind of wor- play on words in the Hebrew, right? Man is this word ish, and woman is this word ish ah. And so even in the way that Hebrew uh, pronounces man and woman, it is this idea that woman has been taken out of man, ish and ish ah. And all of this narrative that we've looked at culminates in the induction of marriage as presented in Genesis 2. 24 to 25, and we know that it's leading or pointing to marriage because verse 24, where it describes marriage, begins with the word, therefore, right? And so, of course, whenever we see that word, uh, we want to look at what happens before because we know what comes before 
is going to flow into what comes next. And so we see God said, not good, the man should be alone. I'm going to put him to sleep. He made a helper who was perfectly suitable to him, and he brought him to her. And then verse 24 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so we see in how God creates man, how God creates woman and brings them together, he is forming the marital covenant. And there's three reasons why this is the institution of marriage in Genesis. Beyond that, first, the Genesis narrative changes in verse 24. Before that, it refers to Eve as woman. And then as of verse 24, it starts to refer to Eve as wife, confirming the two being brought together by God reflects the husband and wife relationship that is forming there. Second, in verse 22, I just think this is cool. God brings Eve to Adam, right? And what does that remind us of? God is a father. He is bringing his daughter to Adam. He presents her to him. God is the first father giving away a bride to a husband. That's pretty cool. As we see, as a man or a father walks his daughter down the aisle and gives her to her husband. And then third, Jesus' own interpretation of these verses solidifies that God is instituting marriage here. In, in Matthew 19, Matthew records this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And in this interaction, the Pharisees are testing Jesus about marriage and divorce. And he quotes Genesis 2 in his response to the Pharisees. He says in Matthew 19, verse 4 to 5, Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what's interesting about this response from Jesus is Genesis, of course, was written by Moses, not Modus, Moses. But I don't know who Modus is. But, but notice that when Jesus speaks about the picture of marriage in Genesis, he states, God said. Right? He says, he who created them said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus is making it clear. It wasn't Moses making a connection between Adam and Eve and the marital relationship. It was God declaring the connection and establishing the marital covenant. And there are many implications that this has, but of course the biggest one is this, that God created marriage. And so God is the only one with the right to define what marriage is, and he has already done that. Marriage is one man and one woman, and this was affirmed by Jesus, and so anything apart from that is not and therefore should not be called marriage. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that to be divisive to what's happening in our world. I'm also not saying that to try and score some easy points with you. I'm saying that because it's true. Because the way that God has created marriage to be between a man and a woman is glorious in itself, but is also a reflection of something a lot bigger than that. And so when we start to mess with that, we miss the picture of what God has created marriage to be. 
And so that's why it's important that we hold to marriage is one man and one woman. And it is glorious. And it reveals something so much greater than itself that we'll talk about at the end this morning. But first, let's talk about what is marriage. And let's read Genesis 24 to 20, or 2, 24 to 25. And then I want to give us a definition of what marriage is. Again, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So here's my definition of marriage. Sorry, it's lengthy, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to warn you, it's lengthy. Here's my definition. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in which they forsake all other earthly relationships to hold fast to one another, becoming one flesh through complete trust and transparency that is enjoyed because of the covenant promise made before God. A promise that reflects Jesus' commitment to his church and the church's commitment to Christ. And so that's a, a lengthy kind of definition of marriage. And so I'm going to break that down for you. And we're going to see that each one of those things is found in Genesis 2. And so marriage is a covenant relationship in which a man and a wife forsake all other earthly relationships to hold fast to one another. This comes directly from Genesis 2.24, that marriage is a covenant relationship. And this is evidenced by the words that are used in this verse. The Hebrew words translated leave and translated hold fast, or in some versions translated cleave, uh, are covenant terms. And God uses these words throughout the Old Testament to talk about His covenant relationship with His people. So we see that leave is used in a positive way to emphasize God's commitment to His people, that, they, that He will not leave them. We see this in Genesis 24, 27. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken, and there's that word, leave or left. He has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way of the house of my master's kinsmen. Or Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's also used in the negative, this word leave. It's used in the negative to describe the people breaking their commitment to God when they leave Him or forsake Him. Deuteronomy 29, 25, then the people will say it is because they abandoned or they left the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. And it's the same with the Hebrew word translated hold fast or cleave. We see it in Joshua 22.5. Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk all in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling, to hold fast, to cleave, to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
And so these words leave and these words cleave or hold fast are covenant words throughout the Old Testament used to describe God's covenant with his people. And in the same way, this language affirms the covenant commitment between a man and his wife in marriage. A commitment that means that the man leaves his family of origin and holds fast to his wife or unites to her or joins to her or cleaves to her or keeps close to her in the same way that God's people are to cling to him and he remains with his people. And in Genesis 2.24, this word is used in kind of a figurative way or a symbolic way here to represent loyalty and affection. And so it means that as a man leaves his family and holds fast to his wife, his affection transfers from his mother and his father to his wife. His loyalty transfers from his mother and his father to his wife. And she is the one that he holds fast to. She is the one he remains loyal to. She is the one who his affections are poured out upon above anyone else. This is how marriage is supposed to work. And when a man's loyalty or when a woman's loyalty is not first and foremost with their spouse, when their affection is not first and foremost with their spouse, one the other spouse will feel it. They will know. And two, it will lead to issues in the marriage. We are to transfer our loyalty and transfer our affections to our spouse. And it is about becoming, part of becoming one flesh. And that's the next part of the de definition. That in this relationship, the man and the woman becomes one flesh. And we see this at the end of Genesis 2.24. This is what it says, they shall become one flesh. And what that means is that the man and the woman, they come, become completely unified. A man and a wife in marriage are completely unified with one another. They complement one another. One supplies what the other one lacks. That is the ideal for marriage. Holding or becoming one flesh signifies the totality of life together. That a man and a woman in a marital relationship, they share physically, they share spiritually, they share intellectually, they share emotionally, absolutely everything. And that's what it means to become one flesh. All of life, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, everything is all intertwined with one another. And this happens through complete trust and transparency that is enjoyed because of the covenant relationship made before God. And we see that in Genesis 2.25, where it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a beautiful picture of marriage. The term naked, in case you're wondering, the term naked Yes, it refers to the physical state of nakedness, okay? So, but, but it infers a lot more than that in the context here. So on the physical aspect of things, commentators do point out the fact that Adam and Eve wouldn't have felt any shame because their physical bodies were perfect, right? So there is that, that piece of it, right? They didn't, they didn't have any imperfections. They didn't have any scars. They didn't have any blemishes. There was nothing that they felt like they needed to hide, which is not the case anymore because of sin. 
And so there's, there's certainly that aspect of physical transparency before one another. But, but while that is a factor in their state of being naked with no shame, it is certainly not the main point that is being made here, especially because God knew what was to come. To be naked infers the idea that we often hear about in relation to marriage of being fully known of being fully exposed before one another. It is a picture of a man and a woman fully exposed before one another in heart, in mind, and in soul. Displaying to one another the totality of who they are. Not holding anything back from the other in any way. And therefore having absolutely nothing hidden from the other. To be naked and fully known means that everything about the other person has been brought into the light. There are no shadowy places. There are no aspects of the other person lingering in the darkness. There is nothing that is not shared between man and wife. Now, I want to press this a little bit because some of you are sitting there going, that's crazy. No way. There's no way I'm doing that. You think it sounds extreme. You think it sounds impossible. You think it sounds overly invasive. You may not have that in your relationship, and you may not want that in your relationship, and I want to press that because there is one reason, and one reason only, if you feel and think that way. Sin. That's the only reason you don't want that. Sin. Now, I'm not saying that there's a hidden sin in your marriage. That's not what I'm saying. Though maybe in some of your marriages there is. And it needs to be brought to the light because you will never have oneness with your spouse if you're holding sin back, if they don't know about it. But more directly, I just mean sin as in general sin, like capital S, sin. That sin is present generally. That's why you don't want it if you don't want it. When sin came, then came shame. Then came guilt. Then came fear. Then came insecurity. Then came all of the things that keep us from hiding from one another. And if so, the the idea of being fully known terrifies you, it is because of sin. And so, if you can make that connection in your head... That in itself should cause you to want to fight against that. Because we do not want to be ruled by sin. We don't want to be held in bondage by sin, and that's what that is. So try and make that connection in your head. You know, I'm going to push against that. I'm going to be fully known in my marriage with my husband or my wife. Because to not be, to hold back from that, it's because sin is holding me. These things were not an issue for Adam and Eve. And apart from the fall, they wouldn't have been an issue for us. They wouldn't have hindered the closeness of a man and his wife in marriage the way that they do. Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed because they were walking in moral up 
rightness. There was nothing to separate them. There was nothing to hide from one another. They were fully at ease with the other. There was no fear of exploitation. There was no fear of evil. They were walking in purity and integrity. They were walking in innocence of anything other than goodness. And so they were able to just say, I'm here. Fully know who I am. They didn't have past hurts that they were bringing into the marriage. They didn't have past hurts from their childhood. They didn't have past hurts from other relationships where maybe someone treated them horribly. There was nothing that they had to hide. So the question becomes, can we have this now? Can we experience this? Perfectly? No. We can't experience it perfectly. We cannot experience the fullness of what Adam and Eve had in the garden. But by God's grace, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have a marriage that reflects that ideal. Here's how I would explain it. We will never fully be like Jesus on this earth. Everybody agree with that? <laughs> Good. <laughs> we, will, we will never fully be like Jesus on this earth because of sin. But as his disciples, our aim is to be as much like him as we can be. And through the process of sanctification, hopefully, we are becoming more and more like him. Because as a disciple, our goal is to be like our master. And in the same way, we will never fully experience marriage like Adam and Eve. But as God's people, our aim is to get as close to that ideal as we can. And I'll tell you how. And I'll tell you why in a fallen and broken world, two people can be naked and unashamed. It is because marriage is a covenant. That is why two people can be naked and unashamed in a fallen world. First Peter 4.8 that has really nothing to do with marriage, but it kind of touches on this idea. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And that idea is brought into marriage. Through the marital covenant, God provided a space this is what he did. Through the marital covenant, God provided a space where two sinners can come together and be fully known because man and wife are committed to one another through this lifelong covenant. Come what may, they will hold fast to the other. My wife is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are one together through this life. And it is in that space when we know I am hers and she is mine and nothing can tear that apart for all of our days, that is where we have freedom to become fully known. That is where we have freedom to share our heart, to share our hurts, to expose our shortcomings and our failures and our sins to the other who will not leave us, who will not forsake us because they have made a covenant with us before God. 
And if you have that view of marriage, you can share anything. You can forsake sin because you know no matter what, through valleys, through good times, your spouse is for you and you are for your spouse and you are walking through this life together trying to build each other up in Christ so that you both come before your heavenly Father and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And immense grace will be needed in seasons. Immense grace will be needed. Immense grace was needed in my marriage when I came forward to my wife about my pornography addiction. That needed immense grace, and it was there, because we're in it together forever. Forgiveness will be required consistently. But if you are willing to commit to that promise that you made, you will be able to have full transparency in your marriage. And you will be able to work through whatever may come. That brings me to the last part of our definition of marriage. Marriage is a reflection of Jesus and his church. The description of marriage I gave sounds a lot like the relationship between Jesus and his church because it reflects it. God created marriage to display Christ and his church. In Ephesians, Paul calls this the great mystery of marriage. Jesus Christ has made a covenant with his church to never leave her, to never forsake her. And in this covenant, he passes over sin. He shows his church immense grace. And because of that grace, there is now no fear of condemnation. Because God's mercy is over his church. Much the same way a husband and a wife must do for one another all of their lives. The parallels between Christ and his church and the one flesh union between man and woman, they are seen all over God's institution of marriage. As I already said, as God brought Eve to Adam, so the Holy Spirit brings us to Christ, and we are his bride. We are a helpmate to him. As a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, so Christ left the bosom of his father to come to earth to die on a cross for sinners, for anyone would put their faith in him, go, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved through Jesus. And he cleaves to his bride through his death on the cross and his blood that was poured out. And as a woman came from Adam's own rib, so the church was birthed from Christ's own blood. What a glorious picture that God has knitted into the creation of marriage a reflection of the gospel 
that we have all come to know and come to be redeemed by. And so may we, church, hold a high view of marriage. May we hold a high view of this one flesh union. May we hold fast to the conviction that it is for one man and one woman, knowing that God made it this way to reflect the gospel to all the earth. And may we as His people, by His grace, press for oneness with our spouses, earnestly becoming fully known, naked, and unashamed in the safety of covenant love. To that end, I want to give you a growth step. I've been giving you growth steps this year, and we're going to keep doing it every week. One of these weeks, I'm going to see if you do it. That'll be awkward. <laughs> Can't lie in church. Your growth step this week. To be fully known, naked, and unashamed requires intimate communication. This week, if you do not already have it, establish a time with your spouse. Maybe it's a date night dedicated to one another. Hey, men, easy win to initiate it. Come on, guys. Seriously, men, initiate it. You're the man. Initiate, okay? Have no screens. Have no entertainment. Have no distractions. And just talk to one another and share with one another. And ask the Lord in that space. Men, pray as you enter that space. Ask the Lord to cultivate vulnerability with one another. Now, in all seriousness, I want to say, if this terrifies some of you, it's okay, but step into it. Because you want to be fully known by your spouse. You want to know one another in the depths of your hearts. Trust me, there's nothing sweeter. And if you're terrified to the point where you feel like you can't do it, come and talk to me. Like if your marriage is in a space where you're like, there's no way. I don't even know how to begin to do that. Please, don't stay there. Come and talk to me. Come and get help. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each one here. Father, I pray specifically this morning for men and women who are married. Lord, I ask for your immense blessing over their union with one another before you. Father, I pray that your hand would be upon them. That they would feel the presence of their Heavenly Father in their marriage. That they would have the confidence before each other to know that it is a lifelong covenant that they have made. That they could have the confidence before their spouse to know, this man, this woman, they will never leave me. They will never forsake me. I am committed to them before Jesus as they are committed to me before Jesus. And in that space... I can be fully known. It is unlike any other space in all of creation where two hearts can come together as one.
And Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cultivate that kind of relationship in the hearts of the men and women here. Lord, for those here this morning who need help, who are hurting, whose marriages are struggling, Father, I pray that you would meet them exactly where they're at. Father, that they would seek the help that they need. Lord, we want to be a reflection of the beautiful creation that you have made for marriage. Lord, may we be a people who reflects Christ in his church, though imperfectly. And may we be a people that walks in grace and mercy with one another. Father, I pray for the young people in here who hear this message today. Father, I pray that they would have a high view of marriage. God, that they would not rush, that they would seek your face, that you would give them wisdom. Have your way, Father, in our hearts. Have your way, Father, in our lives. I pray that those here this morning who just in this moment need to lay down some, some chains that they've been carrying, some chains that they are feeling burdened by, that they would be able to lay those at your feet, Lord. Father, if there are those here this morning who have hidden sin in their marriage, things that are unconfessed before you or their spouse, that in your grace you would bring it forward, that you would bring it into the light. We know that at some point all things will be exposed. Bring it forward, Father, so that it may be redeemed through the blood of Christ. I praise you, Lord, for who you are. I praise you for what you've made and what you've done. May all glory and all honor be to you in our marriages and all things. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.